0: Dear listeners, I'm Lauren Conlin, and before you embark on this investigative journey with me, I want to offer a sincere word of my acknowledgement and gratitude. When I, as the host, first set out on this path, I was admittedly very green. I lacked the seasoned expertise and finesse that comes with experience in investigative podcasting and reporting. However, Every story has a beginning and an ending, and this podcast represents the start of my own investigative odyssey. So as you dive into these episodes, you may notice rough edges or moments where my inexperience shines through, but please know that every stumble and misstep has been a crucial part of my learning process, and I've embraced each challenge as an opportunity for growth And improvement. So I want to express my heartfelt appreciation to each and every one of you who was stuck with the story despite my imperfections, because Grant's story is important. So your support and patience have been invaluable as I've navigated the complexities of investigative podcasting. And your feedback, whether constructive criticism, words of encouragement, or maybe something that wasn't so nice, has helped me and helped shape this podcast into what it is today so without further ado here is corruption what happened to grant solomon what happened to Grant Solomon? I'm your host, Lauren Conlin. Happy hump day everyone. I am getting over a cold, so bear with me. My voice is so gross right now. I'm so sorry, but I am going to power through this. So, let's start with some feedback from last week's episode where I shared parts of the recording of Grant Solomon at only 16 years old in 2018 discussing his little sister's alleged abuse with the school administrators at GCA. I want to add that I did email the school to get their official statement on everything. I have not heard back, but if and when I do, who I will be sure to share that statement. But. There were two emails from people that I received in response to last week's episode and the episode before that, that really stood out to me. So with their permission, I'd like to share an excerpt from each email. So the first email, the person who wrote to me was actually a survivor of sexual abuse and she chose not to tell anyone and keep it all bottled up inside because of people like the people at GCA. And she said this, quote, today I listened to the podcast and I wanted to share one thing about the recording of the meeting with the school administrators. Having been sexually abused from age 12 to 13 and never telling anyone until about a decade ago, that was an extremely hard recording to listen to. One thing that I want to point out is that these people say that this will follow her in the future. Having been around this type of fundamental Christian church, this was victim blaming and I believe a threat. What it said to me was that this information will be used by classmates, men, and women as a scarlet letter because she was at fault for the abuse and for saying anything about it to anyone. This wasn't just about the kids in that moment, but her mother is being told that this poor girl needs to obey, be silent and hide it all because everyone else is uncomfortable. And her reputation is at stake of being tarnished. Her actions of telling a friend or two was far worse than the actions of her father. She is ruining her reputation. Not that her father has ruined her life or anything. There is nothing about that interaction that indicates that those women cared about this poor, abused young girl. End quote. That really stuck with me. And ironically, I'm going to quote GCA right now. People are being affected by this. Yeah. People listening to this podcast are being triggered and affected by the way the school mishandled the situation so incredibly poorly. And the other email excerpt that I want to share is just of a listener in complete and utter shock. Quote, tell me, tell me that a grown man, a professional, an educator, a father did not say to a 16-year-old boy, a child, That he, he the adult, was not comfortable discussing the topic of sexual abuse with his own 11-year-old in the context of this boy's little sister's cries for help for her own victimization. What the actual hell? This person works with children as an occupation. Does he not know the statistics on childhood sexual abuse? Is he unaware that the national average age of exposure to pornography is much younger than 11? Or does he assume they exist in some evangelical bubble where things like that don't happen? Doesn't he understand that refusing to discuss open issues of abuse, sexual development, safety, trusted adults, manipulative behavior, etc., primes children for predators? This putz, I tried to type person, but my phone's autocorrect helped me out, clearly isn't prepared to be a parent, let alone act in a position of authority over other people's children. Keep fighting the good fight. I am praying always for Angie, Gracie, and Grant. End quote. I guess I could have left the putz part out. (laughs) I probably should have. But I think that it gives this email a little bit more authenticity. Now, what I'm about to share, I think that you're going to find really interesting. So a couple, a husband and wife who discovered the podcast in early August, they binged on all of the episodes, they're all caught up now as of October, 2023, and their kid doesn't go to GCA, but knows a lot of kids that do through the sports circuit, I guess, in Franklin. I guess, is that a thing, a sports circuit? That just shows how little I know. But anyway, this couple was like, wow, I need to reach out to a few of these GCA parents and see if they've heard of this. So they reached out to a few parents at GCA and said, hey, have you heard about this corruption podcast? and the allegations with Grant and Gracie Solomon, and the couple said that the GCA parents were very dismissive when they even brought it up and said, oh yeah, 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 GCA held a school-wide meeting back in August. It's nothing. We know all about it. Well, the school-wide meeting was clearly to downplay the entire situation and the online attention it was getting. So All of the current GCA parents were made aware and even given talking points about it. I am currently digging into what those quote-unquote talking points are, but I am horrified. Imagine your child's Christian school has to hold a meeting to defend themselves against former students coming out and saying they had to endure years of therapy after attending this school, or why The school, as administrators, did not report alleged sexual abuse. Everything I have reported on this podcast has come straight from the victim's mouth. So if any of the current GCA parents are listening, specifically parents of females, I am sure some of these survivors would be happy to share their experiences with you if you're curious. It's one thing to call yourself a Christian, but it is another thing to actually be one and live your life as one. Once again, this school has proven to me, my opinion, that all they care about is how they look on the outside. Okay, switching gears. There continues to be a lot of questions surrounding the quote-unquote protection of Aaron Solomon. As in, Why would law enforcement or politicians or megachurch pastors care so much in protecting this has-been news anchor unless there was something else going on beneath the surface? I received a pretty terrible and borderline harassing email a few weeks back accusing me of not covering the quote-unquote real story here. Well, I firmly believe that when we find out the truth about Grant or when Aaron Solomon is behind bars for what he allegedly did to Gracie, I think the truth will follow and a lot of questions will finally be answered. Just know there are a lot of people working behind the scenes and everyone listening just needs to trust the process. Okay, for this next topic... I want to make sure that I am careful with my words because it's very sensitive. This next topic pertains to the deaths of other young boys or men in the Franklin area that appeared to have passed away under what could be perceived as suspicious circumstances or no witnesses or just a freak accident. And A lot of you listening might be familiar with these deaths, but I'm not going to say the names of these boys just yet, just out of respect for their families, but something interesting, all of them, including Grant, attended Grace Chapel, and I feel lucky I grew up in a small town that bordered a city, and I had to go to high school in this city There was a population of about 110,000 people. And Franklin, you know, the population is about 85,000 right now as of 2023. But I never, ever had to endure the death of a classmate or a, a church friend or anyone in my community until I was an adult. So I feel very, very lucky. The deaths of these young men, these boys obviously, including Grant, are just heartbreaking, tragic, and in some cases, just freakish. In August of 2009, the son of a pastor was killed in a single car accident after succumbing to his injuries in the hospital a few days later. Three days after he passed, his pastor father posted this on the church website. Quote, we have fought the good fight of faith, prayed without ceasing, and trusted Jesus. Now we have the joy of realizing our boy is in heaven. We take great pride and joy in his decision to donate his organs. He will now live on in heaven and earth. Hallelujah forever. God be the glory. End quote. I did change a few words to remove his name, but I know everyone grieves. Differently, that message just seemed so positive for a father losing a son three days prior in a freak accident. Moving on, in 2013, a 14-year-old boy who attended Grace Chapel passed away prematurely. That's what it says online. Nothing about how he passed that I could find. It just says that he died prematurely. But he surely attended Grace Chapel and was survived by his parents and a younger sister. Next, in the summer of 2018, a young boy who also attended Grace Chapel and was known as his family's protector, according to a news article, was tragically killed in a lawnmower accident after being found in a creek pinned by the lawnmower. Pastor Steve Berger presided over his funeral service. Next, there was the horrific deaths of a family in 2018 that were all active volunteers at Grace Chapel. The Tennessean reported that it was a murder-suicide and a mother killed her four children and then herself, ranging from aged 14 years old to 17 years old just awful and the husband and the father survived and my heart it just goes out to him it's very unfortunate that a small-ish town and a church community would have to endure such Horrible deaths involving children. I mean, imagine that you and your family were a part of this church community. How do you explain all of these deaths to your own children? And as of this very moment, I am not implying anything. I am not insinuating anything. But I just thought that it was important for people to hear this, to hear what has happened within this church community if they didn't already know. And now tying this entire episode together today, speaking of Grace Chapel and Pastor Steve Berger, in 2018, right around the time that Angie and Grant recorded the GCA administrators trying to contain Gracie's alleged abuse, Pastor Steve Berger gave an infamous sermon that actually made national headlines about how you need at least two to three witnesses when accusing someone of sexual abuse. Because, you know, usually abusers, they want an audience to witness their crimes. (laughs) So in Berger's example in the sermon, he referred to Christine Blasey Ford's accusations against Brett Kavanaugh. And around this time, Bill Lee was running for governor. He wasn't elected yet, but Berger was publicly one of his trusted advisors. Now, you all remember Bill Lee and his lizard tongue that body language expert Tanya Ryman described perfectly when he was asked about investigating the death of Grant Solomon by a reporter who I believe was our friend Alex Willis right. And then you remember the multiple letters that a Tennessee mother that I will now reveal as Melanie Hicks wrote to Governor Lee, begging him to look into Aaron Solomon for Grant's death and Gracie's alleged abuse. To no response, of course. Well, I would love to read to you an article by the Associated Press from 2018, also found in the episode notes with the headline... Lee won't use biblical victim witness standard if governor. Quote, A pastor who is an advisor to Tennessee GOP gubernatorial candidate Bill Lee says, The Bible requires victims of sexual misconduct and other offenses to have at least two or three witnesses. Steve Berger, pastor of Franklin-based Grace Chapel, made the remarks during a September 30th sermon that focused on the nomination of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford's allegations against the judge. Berger's sermon started off by saying the requirement applied to accusations against church elders, but he later applied the requirement to Kavanaugh and stated Ford was not meeting biblical requirements. Quote, But do you understand, beloved, that we either have two to three witnesses for civility, or we have no need of witnesses and have injustices ready to happen every single time, end quote. Berger said in his sermon, quote, in our broken world, this is the best we've got, end quote. Berger is one of Lee's advisors on engaging and recruiting faith-based organizations to address state issues. He's also pastor of the church that Lee attends regularly. Berger did not return a voicemail from the Associated Press. In a campaign where religious faith has become a defining characteristic of the Republican candidate, Lee describes the governor's office as a calling. However, His campaign said Monday, the biblical requirements cited by Berger would not become the state standard if Lee is elected governor on November 6th. In a follow-up statement to the AP, Lee stressed that sexual misconduct allegations would be taken seriously under his leadership. Quote, "'In my administration, "'there will be a zero-tolerance policy "'towards sexual misconduct,' Lee said. My daughter is entering the workplace and I want her to have every opportunity that her male counterparts would, including a safe work environment. The dignity of women must be respected and I'm thankful the Me Too movement has advanced that. End quote. Lee's promise comes at a time when states across the country are facing scrutiny for how they handle allegations of sexual misconduct amid the explosion of the Me Too anti-harassment movement. In Tennessee, the issue has become a key talking point in the high-profile U.S. Senate race. Republican U.S. Rep. Marsha Blackburn has criticized former Democratic Governor Phil Bredesen's handling of sexual misconduct complaints during his administration. Bredesen has encountered that he protected victims throughout his tenure. Lee is running against Democrat and former Nashville Mayor Carl Dean, who is Catholic. Dean has not made his faith a part of his campaign to the degree that Lee has, such as when asked about his stances on policy issues, such as the death penalty, where the Catholic Church says the death penalty is never acceptable quote, my faith is important to me, and I believe faith-based initiatives have a place in government, but the government doesn't get to pick the faith or remove the need to follow the constitutional authority regarding church and state's entanglements, end quote, Dean said in a written statement on Tuesday. Dean says his political track record shows how he would lead Tennessee, end quote. Well, We all know how that race worked out, unfortunately, and I'm sorry, I was actually trying incredibly hard not to laugh when I was reading Billy's statement, and let me be clear, it's not funny. It's not funny at all. It's just complete and utter hypocrisy. Let's put it simply, this case is wreaking havoc on his state. And he knows all about it. He knows about Grant. He knows about Gracie. And he has chosen to turn away. Let me just quote Governor Lee for you all again. Quote, in my administration, there will be a zero tolerance policy towards sexual misconduct, end quote. (laughs) And for the record, And as an avid churchgoer and Bible reader myself, I believe that some of the Bible can be interpreted differently. And hear me out. I just don't think that God thinks that victims and survivors of sexual abuse need to be chastised and punished for not having three witnesses. And you know what? Pastor Steve Berger also thinks that the Bible can be interpreted differently. Well, that is if it fits his narrative. Some of you may have figured out that the 2009 death of the pastor's son I mentioned earlier was in fact Steve's son. And that is so tragic. And I am so sorry for him. I cannot imagine. His son was only 19 years old and I am not making light of this at all. But Steve Berger considers himself a prophet and claims that he receives messages from his deceased son and speaks to him on a regular basis. Mediumship is a sin, but Steve Berger claims that God has made an exception for him and his family. So the Burgers are allowed to sin because they've experienced grief, but you all are not allowed to sin. Let me read you these verses. Leviticus 19.31 Do not turn to mediums or wizards. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Isaiah 8.19 When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God, why consult the dead on behalf of the living? You get the picture here. You can find more about Steve's mediumship in the episode notes. I am just so tired. I am tired of these people. I am tired of these men, of their cruelty, of their hypocrisy, of their selfishness. I mean, the list goes on. Okay, I'm getting emotional, so I'm going to wrap up today's episode and just thank everybody for listening. I'll be back with another episode next week of Corruption. What happened to Grant Solomon?